God. And you are the one in control. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity this morning we've had to worship. And uh, Father, we pray that it would be the words that we sang, Father, would be the very, our very heart. And Father, we thank you for just the truth that we have proclaimed today, Father. And um, we pray that you would encourage our hearts today. And uh, Father, whatever our, our little story is today, the details of our life, wherever we are, whatever we're going through, whatever challenges we face, Father, we, I pray that you'd, you'd show us today from your word that you are sovereign God and that you love us and that you're still in control and in charge of not just the world, but my life. And so we surrender ourselves to you today to say, Lord, I, I need you. I need my life to be in the, the center of your hand. And Father, we just pray that you'd encourage us today, you'd teach us. And uh, it help us, Father, just to see our life maybe from a new perspective today. And we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Um, several of um, our young guys in our church have just recently built houses. <laughs> and um, I asked Gary Litton if I could use him as an illustration this morning. And he agreed without talking to Jessica. But anyhow, uh, I'll clean up whatever mess happens here in the next five minutes. Um, but I wanted to kind of use this as an illustration this morning for us to think about something this morning. Uh, but uh, Gary wanted to build a house for his family. has a beautiful family, three little girls, beautiful wife, and... Um, they began to think about that, and he actually, he and I, for the last several years, have talked about that. And so, but I want you to think about the process that they had to go through to build a house. And uh, they bought land, and uh, I'm sure he talked with Jessica about the, the, you know, that house and the floor plan and what they wanted in it and what it looked like. And you know, this is you're going to make it like you wanted it, you know, with within reason. I, I know there's dollar amounts here, uh, but anyhow. We won't talk about money because this is a happy, clappy sermon this morning. So, uh, um, you know, and obviously they developed plans and Gary's kind of a handy guy. And I know some of the work he did himself, but obviously you've got subcontractors coming in and you've poured a foundation and you've got, I think I went by one day when the, the framers were there and they're framing, they're putting on a roof because obviously he wanted his uh, family to be protected from the elements. Some of this is kind of like, duh. Uh, you know, you want, a, you want a good roof that the family's going to stay dry, and they, they made walls, and they insulated the walls, and uh, obviously, uh, I know Gary did kind of the electrical, or a lot of it, and uh, the great thing about their house is they have electricity at their house. Do you know why? Because that really makes a house nice. If you don't have electricity, it's not as nice, and you know, you can do things, and uh, Gary even told me this morning, put extra plugs in the girls' bathroom because he knows the teenage years are coming. You know, there's, there's things that are about to happen. And, uh, but obviously you want lights in the house. If you're going to live there and your family's going to be happy, you want to have lights. And they insulated the walls. And 
some of this the preacher's just blowing smoke on. But anyhow, y'all understand my sermon illustration this morning. And because they, uh, they also went with uh, central air and heat. You know why? Because they wanted to have a house that was comfortable in the winter. You can turn on the heat. You know, in the summer, you can turn on the air conditioning and it makes it cool. And, um, you know, the electricity allowed them to have, obviously, not just curling irons, but, you know, TVs and things like that and appliances because if you're going to live there, you, you kind of want to cook meals, Brother Josh, don't you? I mean, we want to eat. If we're going to be at home, we want to eat something. And so you've got appliances there, ovens and stoves and places where you can, you can cook. And um, another great thing about the Litton's house is they have running water inside their house. I mean, he, this guy's thought of everything. They have bathrooms and showers and, I guess, bathtubs. I don't know about that, but I think they do. Um, and the girls have a room, and, you know, they even kind of customized it. I know there were some, maybe some different colors that were painted different rooms because they wanted to make it special uh, for the girls and, uh, you know, just, just customize it. Um, uh, Gary built a carport. Now, I don't know, Brother Gary, if your car fits underneath the carport or not, but I know that your wife's car fits underneath that carport. Am I right? Because, Brother, uh, this guy, you know, sometimes you look at a guy and you don't think there's a lot going on. There's more going on there than it appears. Uh, Because he wants Jessica to be able to drive in the carport and not be out in the elements and walk in that back door into the house. Um, They obviously put furniture in the house and had belongings and um, the thing about his house and I could use other guys as illustrations but um, it was just right for their family to live together now I had to ask Gary about this this morning they do have pets I, I don't know at what level Gary is a pet guy but I seriously doubt that he built that house for the pets. Now, I'm not saying the pets can't stay there, but really you're not going to build a house. Well, I I wouldn't build a house for pets. And they have some possessions. And there are possessions in their house, but they didn't build the house for the possessions. They built their house so that their family could live together in a place that was was good for them does that make sense it was about the people that filled that house really the bottom line is brother Gary loved his family and he wanted them to have a place that was just right for them to live in now I also know there are a lot of details that go into building a house I don't know all the obstacles that Brother Gary got into building his house, but there were a couple times he looked at me and he said, Pastor, just pray. And sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't need to know the details. But I know there's a lot of details in building a house and in the process of it all. And the only thing I could think of is that we have to be careful in the process like that to make sure that we do not get bogged down in the details and we forget what it's all about. It's about the family having a place to live together. Amen?
Hmm. On a much grander scale, God did the same thing for us as his special creation, mankind. The reason that God created everything in the universe was for no other reason than for us. I don't know if you've ever thought about it like that. God created a place that was just right for us so that we could live in relationship with Him. In 2019, we are doing a flyover of the Bible. We're going to go from Genesis to Revelation. 50 sermons, all except for Easter and next December, the, week bef- the Sunday before Christmas. 50 sermons. And here's my intent. Sometimes we get bogged down in the details of life and history And we don't see the big picture. And I want us to to do flyovers. Today we're going to cover Genesis 1 and 2. There's a lot of details there. Brother Rob, we're not going to cover those details. Brother Rob wants me to get down in the nitty gritty. I want to do a flyover today. To say what what is the beginning? What is the origin? What is this all about? What does it teach us about God? What does it teach us about ourselves? What does this teach What does it teach us about our relationship? with a God who would create a place like this just for us. My sense today is that it is easy to get bogged down in the details of our individual lives. I I know some of you and I know some of what's going on in your lives today. Um, And sometimes my thought is we need to pull back and look at the big picture and be reminded of who God is and where his hand is on our lives. In fact, my sense is, here it is, the only way we can understand the details of our life is when we put it in perspective of the big picture. Does that make sense? And so we're going to look this year at the big picture. We're going to do a flyover of the Bible. And we have um, we've produced a, a reference sheet every week for you. And there's ones at the end of the pew. And there may not be enough on your pew, and we'll, we'll get some to you or... Quite honestly, there's some people in your pew that don't want a reference sheet. And so you just go, if you don't really want it, I want it, okay? So take it. And so we don't know how many people are going to see. You can look at a pew in front of you or behind you. And uh, last week's reference sheet is out in the foyer. And this week's reference sheet will be 
out in the foyer, whatever we have left over. And if you, it, we, we, my point being, if you miss a Sunday, then pick up your reference sheet and you'll know uh, the general concepts that we were covering that particular Sunday. If I had to do a flyover of Genesis 1 and 2, there would be several verses that I would want us to cover. Obviously, Genesis 1 is going to tell us the beginning. In fact, the book, the book's name, Genesis, actually comes from a word that means origin. Actually, the Hebrew scriptures, guess what they called this book? Guess what they called Genesis in the beginning? Yeah. Because that's the first phrase. That's what the Hebrews did. But in our English and more of the Greek uh, world, it is called Genesis, the origin. And it's a book about beginnings. Let's just take a flyover quickly this morning of Genesis 1 and 2. Um, it says in verse 1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. So evening and the morning were the first day. And there's a pattern there that we see then that was day one. Day two, the same kind of pattern. God creates what is called the firmament, or we might call the atmosphere. Day three, God makes dry ground and the plants that were on the dry ground. On day four, the sun, the moon, and the stars, he the galaxies, the constellations on day four. Day five, he creates uh, the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. Everything in the water, everything that abided in the water, abides in the water, and everything that is in the air. Day six, God creates all the land animals, and when he is finished with the land animals, then he creates... Mankind, male and female, God creates. On day seven, God rests from all of his labors. Um, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says of that second half of day six, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, in Genesis, just to help you, in Genesis chapter 2, starting in verse 4, through the end of that chapter, God, we take a little slice of the second half of day 6 of creation, and we are given greater detail of how God created mankind. I'm not going to read all of that this morning, but you can go back. But understand, this is a detailed now account after the seven days and the patterns. He takes out the second half of day six, the creation of mankind, and he talks about that in a specific way in the inspired scripture. Now just for a couple verses to read, let me also read uh, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. And the Lord God, and this is that that detailed account of how he made mankind. And the Lord God formed a man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. And there he put the man whom he had formed. In the rest of chapter 2, it talks about that garden And it talks about two trees in the garden, the tree of uh, life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We're not going to talk about that this morning. Oh, it'll come up next week. And then he talks about, for the first time in creation, that when he looked at the man, this is kind of a joke, he looked at it and said, this isn't any good. This isn't going to work. It's not. Thank you, you, Melody, for laughing at my jokes (laughs) and nudging Jason in the midst of that. Uh, No, no, this no, this, this isn't right. And, yeah, (laughs) okay, Um, he puts the man to sleep, he takes one of his ribs, he creates a woman, and he brings the woman, and he joins the first couple uh, together to set the pattern uh, that he established uh, for our relationships with one another. That's a flyover. Genesis 1 and 2 of what God did in creating The thing that I want you to get, the one truth that I want you to see, and we're going to go back and look at a few of the details, is that God created it all for us to have a place to live in relationship with Him. So if we go back to chapter 1, verse 1, and it says, in the beginning, there's a few things I want to tell you, just some details. To help us understand, under the umbrella of that big truth, who God is, who we are, and how we are to live in relationship with Him. When the scripture says, in the beginning, it is not talking about the beginning of God. It is talking about the history of mankind. In the beginning, God. It was not that God started at that. Because God has no beginning. And in fact, if, if we have to somehow try to wrap our little human brains around this concept, I can't even get past that. God has always existed. The timeline of God's life goes all the way that way, and it goes all the way that way. Somehow, Daryl Smith in his brain, I was going to say his little pea brain, but anyhow, that's probably not respectful of me or anybody else made in the image of God. We're going to get there. I can understand eternity, future. I can get that. 
I can't get the other direction that God has always existed. But that is who God is. When God creates, He creates out of nothing. He speaks it into existence. He is the creator who is distinct from His creation. There was no need within himself to have to create. God was not completing himself. He did not need anything that he created. He was complete in and of himself. He is the eternal God. He is the sovereign one. I need to pause for just a moment and let you know. And Brother Barry, this is some things that you and I talked about last Sunday. The word, the name for God there, in the beginning, God, I just need to point this out to you because it's going to come up as we fly over the Bible this year. The name for God there is Elohim. Even when we say that word, what we understand is this, Brother Barry, this anomaly that the name for God there, Elohim, is a plural noun in the Hebrew. But the crazy thing, Brother Barry, is when it has a verb attached to it, that verb is singular. It is a plural noun, but it is considered singular. Now, right there, you've lost Daryl Smith. My little pea brain can't even wrap around that. There is a complexity and a plurality to God that is beyond our human comprehension. And we begin to see glimpses of the complexity, even the, the triunity that is Related in other scriptures in this, and, and I think in the next verse it's going to talk about the Spirit of God hovering over the creation. And then we're going to come to chapter 1, verse 26, and God is going to pronounce with his mouth, let us make man in our image. And we're thinking, well, who, who, who is we? That's not good grammar. Why didn't God just say, let me? I'm going to make. Because we are, we're getting this glimpse that God, there is a complexity to God that will be revealed as the story unfolds. But first, his name is Elohim. If you were to look in chapter 2, verse 4, or the scripture that I read, 2-7, it says, the Lord God. That word God is the same as in 1-1, Elohim, but the name Lord there is the Old Testament word name Yahweh. We're going to have to come back and talk about that as we do our flyover. Surely we've got to know the names of God and who he is and how he has revealed himself. But in the Hebrew it says he is Yahweh Elohim. Uh, Yahweh is going to be that name that God reveals himself at the burning bush to Moses later in the story. He is the I am. I am. My personal name is, is Yahweh. Uh, let me let you in on a little bit of secret. At least in my King James Version of the Bible, when that name for God, Yahweh, is the Hebrew word, the word Lord, our translation, will be in all capital letters. Uh, God is not screaming at us, his name, all caps. It is distinguishing Lord from uh, another name for God, which will be Adonai, which will also be translated in English, Lord. But the all caps Lord is Yahweh. 
God, in verse 2 of chapter 1, creates order out of chaos. The earth, this is very important. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. It did not have order, it was empty, and it was dark. And God's going to change all of that because that is not within God's nature. That is not a reflection of his character. And all of creation will reflect the character of God. And he is a God we see from the very beginning that creates order out of chaos. It is a reflection of his character. And we see this, him beginning to do this in verse 1 when it talks about on day 1 that he creates light. He begins to put things in order and God creates, also very significant, uh, in verse 3, that God speaks. And when God speaks, it is. We see from the third verse in all the Bible that the word that proceeds out of the mouth of God is very significant, very powerful. Whatever God says is very important. And we're going to see this in the story as it unfolds. So it is God who speaks. It is the spirit that was hovering, that was a part of creation. And then John 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, a reference to Jesus. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then John says, And all things were made by Him, the Word. And without Him, nothing was made that was made Once again, we see the triunity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit all involved in creation. God speaks and he creates everything out of nothing. It is a demonstration of his power and his might. But also there is a glimpse in verse 4 of his care over creation because it says, and God saw the light. God not only speaks the light into existence, but you see when the sense in the Hebrew is that when he saw that he was watching over his creation, God is not a God who creates and withdraws. God is a God who creates and stays with his hand upon his creation. Mm. But then the, the pattern, and you see this, when God created the light, day one, and you see this in all the days, until he get to the man, God said, it is good. And it was good. Hmm. Think about that with me for just a minute. Before this time, there is nothing other than God. God creates the heavens and the earth. And on day one, he says, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw it. And he said, it is good. I don't know why this thought has just kind of hit me. I'm thinking, in what sense was it good? From what standard did you judge? This is very important. From what standard do you judge the creation that it is good? I mean, who's looking around? There's not man there to go, oh, hey, that's really good. You did a good job there, God. Where is the concept? What is the source of what is considered good? It is God himself. 
And y'all, if there is if there is a foundational truth that we need to understand today, is the standards of what is good is not within mankind. Mankind hadn't even been ex- created yet. It is within the nature and the character of God. God looked at it and said, "It is good." Who said so? God said. I said so. How do you know? Because it lines up with my character and who I am. Goodness, righteousness, justice, right and wrong, all flows out of the nature and the character of God. And it's going to run through the whole story that God is the one who determines what is good. Oh, I don't have time. But God is the one who sets the creation in order according to his goodness. (laughs) Numerous times in chapter 1, God will say he made the plants according to their kind. He made the animals according to their kind. He made the birds according to their kind. He made the fish of the sea according to their kind, the birds of the air according to their kind. I don't know how many times. It's at least half a dozen times. He says according to its kind. Brother Glenn, we talked about this the other morning. Genetic encoding in the creation. God made things according to their kind, and he made them to reproduce according to their kind. I'm going to be speaking Wednesday night with the Agency 56 kids about creation and evolution. But this is so foundational to say that it's not just that he made an elephant, but he encoded the elephant with the genetic encoding, the DNA, whatever you want to call it in the plant world, the animal world. That is an elephant. And when that elephant reproduces, guess what it reproduces? Elephants. God made everything according to its kind, and it is genetically, everything in creation is genetically encoded to be what God designed it to be. Because it is a part of the order of God that is a reflection of his nature and of his character. When we see all of the the five and a half days, what we realize is that all of creation was designed for mankind to live in the environment that was just right for him. And one of the, the, the most overwhelming proofs that there is a creator is that as far as we know there is no other place in the universe that is conducive for us to live other than this one planet and that ought to just hit us in the face our telescopes we've sent I don't know what spaceships out there we've looked 
there is no indication that there is no other place in all the, the universe that is even inhabitable or there are any signs of any kind of life. I was reading a book. Aren't you proud of your pastor? And that's not the point. It's actually about the revival, the Jesus Revolution revival in the late 60s, early 70s. But I was talking about 1969 and... Uh, landing on the moon and we know the, the classic quote by Neil Armstrong I'm probably gonna mess this up one small step for man one giant leap for mankind maybe that's close enough what you may not know is that the second man on the moon was a man by the name of Buzz Aldrin and the thing that struck Buzz Aldrin Aldrin and he wrote about this later is the desolation of the moon that there was nothing there and I, I get this picture of Buzz Aldrin looking around and looking back at planet earth and thinking about the life that is on planet earth and he talked about the desolation he said but it was it is also desolate there is no place on earth as desolate as what I was viewing in those first moments on the lunar surface I realized what I was looking at toward the horizon in every direction had not changed in hundreds thousands of years no atmosphere black so sky cold colder than anyone could experience on earth no sign of life whatsoever more desolate than any place on earth if I'm just, if we're just doing a flyby today, and in the midst of the details of our life, I'm saying, no, 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 look at the big picture. You've forgotten that when we look around us, there has to be a creator. There has to be a master plan. This is the only place that is inhabited and is inhabitable in all of the universe. Because God created it for us to live. When we see the creation, we have to look and see the glory of the Creator. All of creation was designed for mankind. That's why He saved it for last. He didn't create man the first day because He hadn't set up everything. Mankind was made in God's image. He was like Him. We, we are not just the creation of God, people. We are the children of God. Gary Litton has things at his house that he has made, but I'm telling you the most significant thing that he has made are three little girls that are genetically encoded, hopefully more with Jessica than with Gary, but it was a joint effort. And those are more important than anything else in that house. In fact, it is about them. Because they are not just his creation. They are his children. 
And so are we as human beings. And God created all of this for us. <laughs> it's interesting to note that God does not speak mankind into existence. Did you get that? All those days, God said, God said, God said. And all of a sudden, you get to mankind. It's like, no, 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 no. Mm -mm. Not going to speak this one into the existence. This is far too intimate and personal. And so what we see from day six is this pullout of the creation of mankind in chapter 2, verses 4 through 25. Of this personal scene of God getting his hands in the dirt and creating the man of the dust of the earth and then putting his mouth over his mouth and breathing into him the breath of life. What could be more personal and intimate than a God who would get his hands dirty and blow from his mouth into your mouth? Mankind is not just a part of the creation. We are more than important. We are made in the image of God. We are his children. We see it in the verses, but God, man was created to have dominion over all the creation. This shows his preeminence in creation. What I'm saying to you is the story is not about the rest of the creation. The rest of the story, don't miss this, is about us and God. That's what the story is about. Everything else, our surroundings are just incidental to the story. It's about us. The special creation of God and what we are, how we are in relationship with Him. And this is seen in that man is created, God says, for him to have dominion over all of the creation. That's why God names Adam and Eve, but He tells Adam to name the animals because He has dominion. He has control over the animals. He is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God plants him in a garden and God puts order to the garden and He tells Adam to till the garden and, and to create the order that God had created in the universe. Adam, you do that in, in Eden, in the Garden of Eden, but the implication is be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. You are to extend that order and the glory of the nature and the character of God into all the world. It's going to be a theme we're going to come back to. God's plan is not just about this. It's about it all. And mankind was designed to extend the order and the glory of God. And as they produced children to expand in the earth. And the order that God had created in the Garden of Eden was to be expanded into the chaos and the darkness and the void of the rest of creation. But I need to say this before we misunderstand. God is at the center of the universe. The story of the Bible is not Daryl Smith's story. It's not your story. It's not the story of the United States. History is his story. 
God is at the center of the universe. And before we kind of get the big head, we have to understand foundationally in the big picture that God is at the center of the universe, but here it is, but mankind is at the center of God's heart. God is at the center of the universe, but mankind is at the center of God's heart. And as long as we understand that, our story can make sense in the midst of his story. (laughs) Once my life becomes about me being the center of the universe, then we're going to be in trouble. What we discover in Genesis 1 and 2 is a God who is sovereign creator who controls everything. To say that God is sovereign is to say that God's hand is upon it. He controls it. And I want you to know that over the next 51 weeks, there's going to be a lot of uh, turns and crooks in the road, and we're going to be in the bar ditch a little bit, out in the wilderness, at least for 40 years. Some things are going to happen. God's hand never leaves human history. There is never a point in all the story that somehow you go, well, God, he's lost control. What we learn from Genesis 1-1 is God is sovereign creator and his hand. Do you know what? That gets a little more personal to us today. It's not just that God's hand is on history. God's hand is on your life. And whatever is going on, whatever happens, wherever you choose to go, God has not lost control. I don't care. I don't care what's happened. I don't care where you go. God is sovereign God. And one of the truths that we've got to grapple grapple with, I don't even know if that's a word, grapple, maybe, maybe not. Maybe I'm making it up today. It's a word now. Is God is sovereign creator. Everything is either caused or allowed by God. Everything is either caused or allowed by God. Nothing ever happens in human history or our lives that does not pass through the hand of God. God is the sovereign creator who controls. He is the authoritative Lord who sets the order. The order of human existence and the creation is set by God. He is the one who created it and set it up and declared that it was good. But the final truth is God is a loving Father who wants to live in a relationship with us. 
And if there's one big truth that I want to live you with, leave you with, is that everything he did and created was so that we would have a place, an existence, where we could live in relationship with him. And sometimes in the midst of our lives, in the details, we get bogged down in the mess and we forget what this is all about. It is about us knowing and living in a relationship with the God who is creator, who would form us out of the dust of the earth and breathe the breath of life into us. It's even more important than the relationships we have. Obviously more important than the possessions we have. Anything else in creation. The reason we exist is because God chose to create us in a world where we could live in relationship with Him. And that's a flyover of Genesis 1 and 2. There's a lot of other details, but don't miss the big picture. If you would stand with me this morning. Uh, let me pray as Brother Shane comes. Father, we thank you that you loved us and had a purpose and a plan for our life. We thank you that you are still in control of human history and our lives. And Father, we thank you that um, you created us to be your children, to live in relationship with you. And so, Father, I pray that uh, for each person in this room, that you would draw us into that relationship. And Father, I know as you unfold the story, that from the very beginning, you were going to make a way through your son for us to have a, a brand new relationship, an eternal relationship with you. And so, Father, today we pray that you would call each one of us into a relationship with you through your son father we wouldn't miss what it's all about so we pray that you'd work in our individual lives i pray that you'd work in our church's life to draw us to yourself and i pray it in jesus name and i love you is more than enough for all that me for every first day, every need you satisfy me with your love and all I have in you is more than enough.